It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True and this is my show. And as you probably guess, I'm also James and today we're going to be serious to talk about as uh, we're sort of passing on to the Hall of Famer and former WWF heavyweight champion, superstar Billy Graham, one of the most influential professional wrestlers of the 20th century. So we thought it was only fitting to pay tribute to the man himself and to join me is Mr. Dara O'Connor of the Wrestling Rewind. How are you doing, sir? Ahoy, how are you, James? I'm fine, thank you very much. Happy to be here, it's been a while. It is, last January was the last time I saw as I as I logged in to the Yoldi Skype and looked up your name on the list, it was January since the last time we had a chat, so it'd be really? interesting. Yes, I think I was when I was on Oh yeah, when you were on the Rewind. Oh, yes. that makes sense. That makes so sense. it's been that a bit was... longer since you was on the Troopany show, so um, wow. thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. I, it's been so crazy because like, I haven't really had a weekend free and I don't think I have a weekend free for a couple of a couple of months now coming up. So it's just pretty much between gigging and stuff like that. It's just all your time's taken. You know, it's, it is kind of crazy. So I just so happened to be free today because a gig I was doing uh, isn't happening. Well, we're not playing it because my uh, guitarist burned a hole in her throat with stomach acid. So that's why I'm here today, folks. <laughs> not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. No, as you know, and as a guitarist myself, I will tell you, these things happen on a regular basis. They do. The whole music industry is so crazy. And, you know, an unrunning joke on the Rewind is that, like, the metal scene specifically and professional wrestling are pretty much the exact same thing um, Mm -hmm. for many reasons. And it's like, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. But um, speaking of which, I mean, like, if if this is your first time hearing me, guys, I want to make lots of jokes about things that, you know, my, my whole goal is to to make James laugh. Um, <laughs> so, so that's what we're going to try to do. And if if you haven't heard me before, go over to Wrestling Rewind because uh, we try to make everybody laugh. And we have a Patreon with Xbox tiers and all that kind of stuff. But free shows, uh, lots of terrible wrestling and a good time. So I just want to get that plug out, out of the way early, James. Sorry. Feel free. The Wrestling Rewind is an awesome show that everyone Thank should you, sir. listen to. No worries. So Billy Graham. Uh, yes. wasn't Billy Graham to start with, of course. He was, in fact, uh, Eldridge Wayne Coleman, which is an awesome name. I don't know why I kept that. That's great. And Eldridge Wayne Coleman. I'd pay to see that dude. To be fair, to be fair, I think if he was coming up now, that's yes. the name he'd probably have. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you, know, yeah. you know what? He's kind of like an Elseworld Hulk Hogan, where it's like he looks and feels like Hulk Hogan, but like not a notable racist. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. It's like Billy Graham was a fine, upstanding Christian gentleman, whereas Hulk Hogan portrays a fine that's the big difference one of my great honours in life is being blocked by Hulk Hogan on Twitter <laughs> so I enjoy it yeah I mean if you watch the WWE documentary about superstar Billy Graham Hulk Hogan's interviewed a lot and it's just like yeah I, I did what he did <laughs> I literally stole his gimmick I literally <laughs> wholesale Jesse Ventura was quite open about it oh no no I absolutely stole everything he did <laughs> yeah and you took the words out of my mouth I was going to say I'm like it's it's like a weird it's like Hulk Hogan cosplaying as Jesse Ventura but doing it so much better um, and that's one thing that like you know I'm glad you said it because like watching I, I knew nothing about uh, Superstar Billy Graham cards on the table literally nothing mm. um 
so when I was watching it, uh, the whole playlist, I was like, oh man, this is just Hogan and Jesse Ventura, <laughs> but a lot better. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of how I went into this. In, in fact, when you get to the end, there is another playlist. That we have obviously weeks of playlists. So, and as always, I did it free stuff you can get on the internet as opposed to a WWE playlist. Not that, that, that anything wrong with WWE uh, Network, it's a fine institution. However, we want to make it as accessible as possible for you. So I picked stuff that was specifically free and tried to give a flavor of his whole career because obviously there's some things that are just not on the network. Yeah. Um, and and it is remarkable. Like this, the, one of his final matches as he comes back to the WWE at the end of his career is Jesse Ventura comedy commentary going, "Hey, he looks exactly like me." <laughs> well, I wonder where he got those ideas from. There's some man going, "Yeah, Jesse, sure." Um, <laughs> but I mean, you got, but you got Jesse, yeah, Jesse, Jesse was like was essentially a, a Billy Graham devotee and Billy mm. Graham was quite happy with him, not so much Hogan, but definitely with Billy Graham. And uh, of course Scott Steiner was very much influenced um, not necessarily positively by superstar Billy Graham. As you can imagine, by judging by the look of him, Billy Graham started off life as a bodybuilder in his younger days and only really got into pro wrestling um, in his late teens, early 20s, where he ended up being trained by one Mr. Stu Hart of Stampede Wrestling. In fact, he had his debut match in 1970 against Dan Crawford. And the fact that Dan Crawford was like a megastar in all Japan pro wrestling in the early 90s and only looked to be about 31 then, will tell you how long Dan Crawford was wrestling for, because he was like, he was a 20-year veteran by then. Um, But yes... Um, he went to the United States. He first really got caught on in the NWA Los Angeles territory, which was run by Mike LaBelle, as in the LaBelle Lock, him, or Gene LaBelle, um, that LaBelle Lock, um, or the Yes Lock, as it is now. Um, and then eventually moved on to San Francisco uh, under Roy Shire, uh, where he wrestled and tagged with such notable people as Pat Patterson and Peter Maivia, the grandfather of The Rock. Um, and he had a run in Central California as well as in Hawaii. But the most important thing that he kind of discovered and developed into his act was declaring himself the arm wrestling champion of the world, mm. which was an interesting thing to do because that gave him a nice little star to feuds and matches, which we will talk about later on the show. So we're going to look at this playlist. We're going to go match by match. We've set up the start of this. Um, the first match we see is um, an AWA match from 1972 um, up against some poor unfortunate called Tommy DeMarco. <laughs> <laughs> um, who gets an ass whooping of the highest order. Um, this was AWA All-Star Wrestling. Um, he's been seconded by the Russian bear, Ivan Koloff, of course, of course former WWF champion. And what makes this stand out to me is he just looks so out of place. Because this is old school studio TV wrestling. If you watch the NWA show that's on YouTube, just like that, and it's original format. And here's this guy who's six foot two, ripped, wearing tie-dye, everything. Mm. (laughs) And cuts a promo explaining he's wearing the colours of autumn. (laughs) And it's like, where did they get this guy from? <laughs> it, it's interesting. Oh, it, it like it kind of looks like a parody. Mm. You know, like when I watched it, I'm like, it's like when you're watching the '70s show, and you remember the Rock was in the '70s show, and the way they shot it, it kind of looks like that. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is bizarre. Because as you said, like it's 
it's so modern. He's so modern, if that makes sense. The other guy looks like he like lost his way in and you know. But <laughs> Billy Graham, he looks like he, he could have been a modern wrestler. You know, you know, modern as in like the wrestling rewind modern, which is twenty years ago. Um he, he wouldn't have been out of place in WCW. And I think that's one of the crazy things about it. It it's it, it really is a testament to how ahead of his time he was where it doesn't look like the seventies. It looks like the late eighties, early nineties, and even into the late nineties. You know, genuinely, him showing up on Nitro wouldn't have been out of place, and that really is a testament to how ahead of the curve he was. The match itself, not great. Um, genuinely, it holds up surprisingly well, to be fair. But uh, the other fella is, you know, just getting killed, really. <laughs> but that's all that's happening. <laughs> It's all the little stuff as well, like um, Koloff having to peel Graham's t-shirt off because his muscles are that big. Yeah. And he's just got a standard armbar on, but he's done it close to the ropes so he can put his hand on the ropes when the referee is looking. And it's just like, oh, it's basic stuff. But in 1972, was it that basic? It was kind of like, it was just, it was the state-of-the-art kind of thing, but he's just so good at the execution of it. It's nothing, there's nothing serious. This is... I don't view Billy Graham in the same way I look at, say, Luthez or Kazuchi Ricardo or Kenny Omega or, like, you know, work rate guys. You aren't watching this for work rate. You're no. watching this because you're going to get entertained, you're going to hate the guy, and it's going to be a rock and roll roller coaster ride for five minutes. But even the finish, like, the finish is just a series of arm drop, of elbow drops. Yeah. And it's like, that's the finish. Yeah, you know, and, and it's weird because, look, that was probably how basic it was back then. I, I genuinely don't know. But because he looks so professional wrestling post Hulk Hogan, you're like, mm. oh, you're expecting more. But then again, it's like, no, this is 1972. So there yeah, is I mean, that bit of a, a, a clash. Like, Yeah, I mean, Harley Race was putting people away with the suplex at the time. Exactly, exactly, and, yeah. exactly, and that's what I mean. Like you're, you know, when you see someone like that, your brain goes to, okay, there's going to be more of a finish than a bunch of elbow drops. But then you're like, no, it's the seventies, so <laughs> that's a bit. I, I mean, need. it is, yeah, it's it's what yeah. works, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, yeah. he was a, well, he was like a hundred and two hundred and seventy-five kilos. Oh, that's two hundred seventy-five pounds. 125 uh, kilos. His build weight was 275 pounds. That's 125 kilos. He's six foot four. So I mean, that landed on you over and over again. <laughs> it's probably not fun. <laughs> probably not fun, you know. Oh, no, no. He does take a good bump though. Demarco does get a bit of offense in. Yes. Um, but yes. He, and he does take a good bump, and it, yeah. it, it, but it just still makes him even all the more fascinating when he finally gets back on top. And Absolutely. Sense. Interesting as well. The thing, as we did say, he was um, a Christian evangelist and he did choose the name Billy Graham partly because he was tagging with the Graham family of California at the time, so he could be claimed to be a cousin, our Jimmy Jack Funk of the of Jerry Graham's family. Um, mm. but also he named himself after the Christian evangelist Billy Graham, uh, who was a massive star at that particular period of time. I mean, like you know, he. In the, the, in the early 70s, Billy Graham would do a revival show at um, the Dallas Cowboys Texas Stadium in Dallas and get more people in there than the Cowboys could. And the Cowboys were the gods of football at the time. Would you say he was a superstar? Indeed, he was. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> and interestingly, 
Billy Graham used Jesus Christ Superstar as his theme music on occasion as well. Oh, wow. Superstar. Um, and he was like, it's considered to be one of the first people to use like specific theme songs for it. And it's like, and it's, 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 it's very kind of sly Christian based, but it, as well, Billy Graham, the preacher was a great talker. Like, mm -hmm. You know, as, as well as the revival shows, as well as being obviously like raising the charity, Christian need, da, 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 they were also entertainment. You know, they had to be, you've got to get these people in the building. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose, I suppose it's kind of like the whole Chris Jericho thing as well, where his gimmick was based on Christian metal with Striper and stuff like that as well. So, I mean, it's not unheard of, but no, it's no. kind of nice that he actually like followed through on it rather than Hogan, who, you know, notable racist. Yes, there you go. Can't really get away from that, can we? No. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, his, I could have brought up his weird infatuation with his daughter. Oh, that's so much worse. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, where do you want to go with this? <laughs> now let's let's move on, shall yeah, we? How about to um, Ken Patera, and we get the first. Oh, this is 1974, so I think we're still in. We might be in California, actually. Um, uh, <laughs> we like the comments on the video. Not only did the superstar Billy Graham have the best physiques and wrestling, he was also one of the strongest wrestlers ever. That's because of the supplements he was taking, so. Um, um, I would do it. Yes. Um, one of the reasons why Billy Graham's career, he, well, he looked amazing, but it was also before steroids had really been fully researched, um, which is the reason why we get towards the end of this particular tape. And he was quite like, you know, did loads of interviews about how he regretted his steroid use early in his career because they didn't know then. This yeah. is talking about the 60s. He was one of the pioneers of it in that sense. Not a great thing to be a pioneer of, obviously, no. to be honest. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, as I said, as I said, he did set the benchmark for what a WWE superstar looks like. Yeah. And you, you know, or looked like until they were like, uh, no more steroids, lads. And yeah. That was, you know. <laughs> yeah. There's someone complaining, why do WWE belts so much slower and smaller than these speeds? Because everyone's 50 pounds lighter now. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like, it's not sustainable to have bodies like that and do the things that they were doing. Um, this match is. Um, a bit of a blow-off feud, and it starts with the infamous arm wrestling match. And again, it's an absolute masterclass in how to get heat. Yeah. And do very little to get the heat you're going to get. You know what? It's the first time I've seen this been done that isn't cringy. Yeah. That, like, instantly, what comes to mind for this is Triple H and Scott Siner's feud from WWE in 2003. Where yeah. They did that, and it was fucking cack. And I'm just like, wait, this is actually so much better because it ends up with them actually having a proper brawl, you know, and, and there is like a definitive winner in it. So there's like a purpose for it. It it it, mu it moves the feud the feud along. It's not just building towards a mid tier uh, Royal Rumble match. So I mean, fair play. Like it's you 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 can see how influential this guy was outside of just being in the ring. The whole character seems to have been the package that people loved. Yeah, I think there's very much, for me, there's very much a lineage from Gus Sonnenberg, who young fans will never heard of, but who was the first worker as world heavyweight champion. He was like the Gold Dust Trios guy, mm. and they picked him because they knew he'd be, he was a big football star at college. They knew he'd be a big draw. So they made him world heavyweight champion because Ed Lewis dropped the championship to him. And of course, Ed Lewis only dropped the championship to people he would who he wanted to be champion because he could tear their head off. Um, and so because they knew he'd make money for him. And then 
after Gustenberg, there's like Buddy Rogers, who was the first total package performer, right, as world heavyweight champion. No, prior to that, you know, you always kept it on a guy. You think like Pat O'Connor, Luther's guys who could go. Mm. Uh, if you're going to get caught in a barroom fight, they're going to rip your arm off. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, um, and even into the seventies, Harley Race, Terry Funk, though they weren't like proper hookers. They were certainly shooters and certainly knew how to handle themselves. And Billy Graham, though obviously was an incredibly tough man, you see the bumps he takes and stuff, and was trained by Stu Hart, so obviously clearly knew how to look after himself. Um, he's that total package of what Sonnenberg had as a draw, but he's come from bodybuilding rather than football. What Rogers had as the whole heel package mm. and, and the body, which is the thing that takes it to the next level. You know, it's the it's the difference between uh, I and I've heard this I heard this a long time ago actually um, where it's like oh I couldn't beat him in a fight or he couldn't beat me in a fight it's like yeah that's a weird mentality this isn't real so, you know yeah Chris Chris Pratt is in Star Lord you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I think there is still that 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 mentality and it's it's weird to see that kind of changed a little bit for probably for a long time. That's what it, where, where it was for, for many reasons, because wrestling is very carny. It's like, right, yeah, you probably need to be able to handle yourself if someone tries to fight with you, because that could happen. Or indeed, if you're working for a promoter who is a bit shady, you need to give them a couple of slaps so you get paid. It absolutely makes sense. But <laughs> it, it's cool that you have that line from, you know, the lads, he's, as the Undertaker would say, you know, carry a gun in their bag to uh, the good old days, as you referred to it, yes. to, uh, which is still <laughs> crazy, um, to, to a point where it's like, yeah, okay, he's just the top guy, and he's, you know, can still go, but he's not like out in a bar, you know, yeah, snort, snorting and snorting cocaine and banging hookers while, you know, drinking himself no. to death, like, yeah. I mean, this is this is uh, this this. I'm not sure where this is from. It's Ken Patera and Billy Graham. It's 1974. So I'm looking at his career listing. So it was liable to the American Wrestling Association. Ken Patera, of course, was an Olympic uh, boxer, sorry, Olympic weightlifter. You know, he was he was the genuine article when it came to size mm. and power and stuff. And he looked like what a real strong guy looked like. Right. Sarah Ken Patera ended up being a big star. Right. You can see from the body shape of Ken Patera, who is organically big, and yeah. Billy Graham, who is absolutely ripped to the gills you yeah. can see the difference between why one looks like an out of this world character and the other one just looks like a big guy yeah you know and it's um yeah it's intriguing to watch this um and it starts with the, with the arm wrestling contest and like you said it's really well done because Graham takes it seriously he's not yeah about. you have to kind of take it serious and i think that's the one thing that like you know we've talked about why it works is because he believes it works he is yeah. actually going you know, no, this is serious to me rather than doing it half-assed or doing it to get somewhere else. And that's probably, you know, again, as I said, when I was watching this whole thing, it's so familiar. I've never yeah. seen this before, ever in my life. I didn't know who he was, right? <laughs> I'll <Yeah>. be honest. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, again, if it's not Triple H, I really don't care. Um, you know, <laughs> that's kind of it. <laughs> so, like... Um, there's, there's an argument to say that Triple H would not exist without this man, though. And this is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it. You can see it. You know, Triple H, Scott Steiner, Hulk Hogan, um, Jesse the Body, any big guy who has done these that kind of gimmick or this 
aspect of the gimmick. Even John Cena, um, you know, Batista, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and it's crazy because I think, like, it, we've seen this been done over and over, but instead of it being silly or being part of a larger thing, it is the thing. And that's why it has weight to it. Because everybody is like, oh, who's going to win this arm wrestling contest? This could be crazy. And then the fight breaks and you're like, holy shit, they really <laughs> Compared to being, and now on Raw, we have an arm wrestling contest where no one cares. Yeah, this is you know? and this the match that follows is a is a no rope, no disqualification, no it's count out lumberjack deadly. match. It's, <laughs> deadly. it's so good. And I'm like, man, this is brilliant because it's it has that era of that um aura of like man, I don't know what's gonna happen here. This is this is unique. It's the visual of it. It looks so dark and like dingy as well, and it just adds to it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. But yes, I mean we didn't get to see the whole match. No, but unfortunately. Was, but, but, still. but the the whole arm wrestling gimmick is just worth it for that. Um, next up on the list, we have we moved to Japan to the IW way, a promotion we looked at a bit at the on the Troopany show in the beginners' night to Japan. Oh boy, there's some politics behind this one. Oh, okay. Wait till you hear the story behind this. <laughs> this so seems a I, bit more restrained than the last one. Yes. So this is the IW way, and the IW way was the third promotion in Japan at this particular point. We're talking 1974. Okay. So New Japan, uh, it, it, basically there was, originally there was the JWA and some local promotions. Right. The JWA, um, when Antonio Noki got fired from the JWA, he went on, he went to Tokyo Sports and then formed New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972. Right. Giant Battle left JWA in 1972 to form all Japan Pro Wrestling and JWA just collapsed because essentially their two biggest stars have gone and they've taken their two rosters with them. But obviously there were still wrestlers left who didn't work for JWA and who didn't want to work for Inoki and didn't want to work for Baba. So they all basically went to become this third promotion that was IWA. Now, IWA had a TV contract. They did pretty well to start with. They had some big gauging name talent and Mighty Inoue was their top star of the time. And then they lost their TV contract. And their world heavyweight champion at the time was Mr. Billy Robinson of Manchester, England, which isn't much good for you when you need a homegrown boy to be world heavyweight champion to draw crowds. Or in Japan. Token, in Japan. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, <laughs> of course, you want Mighty Unaway versus Billy Graham to be your next main event. Sorry, Mighty Unaway versus Billy Robinson to be your next main event. Now, the trouble is, Billy's in Peoria wrestling for the AWA, um, and Vern don't want to let him go. Because so, <laughs> IWA had a talent swap agreement with the AWA, and they said, we've got this guy. So they sent Billy Graham instead. So this is not the ideal situation, because Billy Graham beat Billy Robinson for the IWA World Heavyweight Championship at some point, which didn't really happen. I'm not sure Billy Robinson would be that happy with the idea of losing to Billy Graham either. <laughs> that's fair because Billy was the master politician <laughs> and also could break your legs a, a potent combination potent yes because <laughs> <laughs> um, he was from Wigan <laughs> uh, yeah anyway uh, moving on to this particular match so you get Billy Graham who is now defending the IWA World Heavyweight Championship against Mighty Inouye who has a certain charm himself um, and obviously is a massive draw in Japan. This is the best of three falls match. Uh, you don't see everything. It's, it's edited highlights because I think that's what they put on TV at the time. 
Right. But you sit to see a different side of Billy Graham here because this is a bit more of a pure wrestling match, but obviously it's kind of cold because it's no there's no heat behind it. It's just hey, here's the world heavyweight champion defending his belt against the local boy, which mm. I suppose was kind of standard everywhere at the time. Yeah. Um, that's all the storyline you needed to draw a crowd. Um, but this was a bit different, and it's a different pace to everything else that's on this particular playlist as well. It is. It it seems as I said, like it's well, as you said, it it's a lot more um, of a wrestling match. You know, and I was saying it's very restrained because it is. I mean, like Japanese wrestling is always going to be a bit more restrained unless they're setting each other on fire or things are blowing up or you know what I mean. The the, the huge, um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is just like yeah, they're just having a match, and it, you know what? It's a pretty standard match. It, it's a little bit too punch kicky for me, headlocky, but again, nineteen seventy four. But yeah. it's crazy. That being said, it's still you know you could throw this on dynamite because I know I know your your fan base loves the AEW. Um, <laughs> you could throw this on dynamite and you know Meltzer would be like ah oh, four or five stars and you're like okay yeah calm down there you know um, <laughs> and that's that's the way it would be you know so it's still quite good I I enjoyed it but look it wasn't as fanboy and flashy as or even as you know groundbreaking as the other ones but the fact it still holds up nearly 50 years later that's yeah. crazy it's also like the, the iwa was in the process of changing as well the promotion only really lasted for around about 10 years we have another iwa heavyweight championship match later on this playlist which is way different to this one okay um but yeah um but yeah it, it's kind of like it and again but it's again it's that prototype of the 80s main event wrestling match yeah in the 80s they get away from best of three falls or this is the match Hulk Hogan had with Antonio Inoki, as well as the one he had with Andre the Giant. It's that style of what would become the mainstream main event style of the WWF and New Japan Pro Wrestling, and to a lesser extent, All Japan Pro Wrestling. This is kind of like where it all begins. It kind of gels here, I think. Yeah, and you can see it. You know, you can yeah. you can actually kind of see how it's... as The reason why it holds up, and it could be on a modern wrestling show in 2023, it's because it's like, yeah... This is how the the beginning of it. This is how they invented it. This is like what wrestling would become from Japan to New York, all the way down to like uh, Florida and WCW. It would be everywhere, you know. Yeah, even I in mean, England. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got chairs. You've got um, in a way trying to wrap uh, Billy's leg around a ring post about fourteen times. Yep. <laughs> Spinning towels. It's it's very seventies. Don't get me wrong, but there's a pace to it. And again, you're drawn to it because it's superstar Billy Graham and you want to watch what he does. They're also, you know, chugging beers halfway through the match as well. It's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so it's it's best of three falls. So they obviously have a break between each fall. And I'm like, I'm looking and and I'm sure Dara's seen the same thing. It's like ice pickets come out and bottles come out. And in those bottles, they seem to be brown with all sorts of labels that one would associate with an alcoholic beverage. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, like, you know when the way darts used to be. Like, I don't play darts or watch yeah. it, but you know, you see your lads like lads who are like three, four hundred pounds, and they're like swilling beers and smoking, and you're like, they're not athletes. You know, this is ridiculous. It's like it's a similar kind of like shock here when you're like, wait, no, these guys are actually like having a, quite a good match, and then they're drinking beer in between the falls, and you're like. That's just, it's not a gimmick. It's like, that's just how it was. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Was, to be fair, I don't, I mean, I've just seen Billy like pour water over his face and over his knee. So I'm guessing that was water. But there ah, are definitely bottles. There's with definitely beer in there, though, as well. 
<laughs> yeah, some of it was water, but there was beer there too. <laughs> and then that brings you back to it's the seventies. And that's 70s. that and that's what dates it, you yeah. know. The fact there's no phones or something, yeah, you can get past that, but when you see weird stuff like that happen, you're like, Oh yeah. <laughs> it was fifty years ago. <laughs> but yeah, if if you want if you want if you put Jockey Wilson into YouTube and watch one of his matches from the eighties, you will see two larger gentlemen throwing darts with a fag on. Lots Literally, pies between each three darts. Not, 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 not between each leg. <laughs> between each three darts. Yeah, and um, I mean that's you know that's another thing that's just hilarious. It's like, and then you know, come to all these athletes, and your man's like neck and points, and you're like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> that's a bit much. Yeah, but yeah, this match though, probably the best technical match on the card. I would think it is, yeah. on this on this Absolutely. playlist. Yeah, so it's well worth so. watching from that particular point of view. Yeah, as I said, no, I, I wasn't being facetious. No, this could be on dynamite. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, like, this would this would work, you know. Yeah. And it, you look at a guy like Powerhouse Hobbs, or um, even um, oh, big lad Wolverine thingy machine. Uh, the, the, the dubious political taste in with the Mohawk. Uh, tag, our ring one six man tag team champions. His name I can't remember. In. You can see very much there's obviously a limit between those big power guys and what Billy Graham was doing because he kind of wrote the book on how to be a power wrestler. Um, yeah. Not that he was the first big guy, but he was the first guy to really make power moves kind of the thing. I and, suppose... to it, and I think to pull it all together as well. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there was obviously Bruno was was doing this a similar thing in WWE. Yeah, he was science and power. Yeah, and there's a match later on between the two of them as well. But like, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I'd much rather watch Billy Graham than watch um, Bruno. Bruno's very boring. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that's the thing. Is like, and Bruno loved Billy. Oh Bruno, yeah, yeah. Bruno loved him to death. I'd imagine you know, so. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but it, I think as Bruno, it's the same thing with like New Japan now. A card is the draw, the steady draw. The guy's always going to make money, and you may get bored of him, and his matches may be predictable. But it's the Bret Hart thing, the Bruno Sammartino thing. It works, and it shifts tickets. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, I think that's a good comparison. It's your yeah. Daniel Bryan versus yeah. your uh, Scott Steiner. You're gonna have two totally different, or even the well, Scott's actually really good as well, technically. Um, who's a big guy? Uh, it's Cena. Yeah, right, Cena, the, the, yeah. Cena. It's Cena and Daniel Bryan, right? That's what you're getting. And some people really, really like Daniel Bryan. Some people love John Cena, and it's, it's that kind of. Or even even Reigns, you know Roman Reigns. Yeah, yeah. lots of stuff that he does here, and you're like, oh, you're just stealing it from Billy Graham, um, almost wholesale, <laughs> um, you know. And it that's kind of the way to look at at that, you know. It, and I know it can be kind of, oh, well, you're saying it. it's like, no, you're watching. You're like, you could literally see the lineage from this and and the way it's all produced, which is why it's interesting when you have that match later on with Billy Graham and uh, and Bruno, where it's like, oh well, you know. Yeah, this and, works because it's always worked. Yeah, and the, and of course, who was the commentator on that match? But Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the guy who saw this happen, who has a possibly unnatural appreciation for, <laughs> for Billy Graham. Um, the bro love between Vince McMahon and, well, I think it was on one sided, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, you can see where Vince gets his ideas as. What's a draw? What's going to appeal to the widest possible audience? Yeah, uh, you know, and it's like, and, and I think that's the big difference between Vince and his dad is the fact that 
Vince Senior was looking for a draw that was very specific, that was going to attract a very specific fan base that was going to be very loyal because he was a local wrestling promoter. Bruno yeah. San Martino, Pedro Morales, even Bob Backlund, they appealed to a certain ethnic fan base that they he could sell tickets to, whether it's Italian, Irish, or Hispanic. Whereas Vince Sr. is looking for the biggest possible appeal he can possibly find. Mm. And it's guys like Billy, Rob, Billy Graham who have, like, who have that intangible... Hulk Hogan is another one. Cena is another one. Like you say, Roman Reigns is another one. Yeah. Those are the guys that are predictably, controllably good draws that have a wide appeal when it comes to um, you know, selling t-shirts and selling tickets and arenas and TV ratings. Yeah, because they're superstars. Yeah. They're they're yeah. literally like beyond human. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know, the, the term vanilla midget is <laughs> what Kevin Nash called like a lot of wrestlers <laughs> like that. And I think it's you know, it captures that sense where it's like I don't buy it as being that extra, you know, even no matter how good they are in the ring. And unfortunately, a lot of uh, non-super crazy into wrestling fans, people that just still call wrestling WWF, that's who they think a wrestler is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you, you take out Daniel Bryan and they're like, who's your man that's working in the office over there? You know? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's the thing, thing you know, and, and that's... For better or worse, and some people are probably screaming at their their laptop and all that kind of stuff. Listen, <laughs> no, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying from a from no. a from a um personally, yeah. I, you know, if you listen to the rewind, you know, we, we're big work rate guys, you know. But I mean, from from establishing what wrestling is going forward, I think it's very very important to say that yeah, people that look like Billy Graham, Hulk Hogan, literally being probably the, the next person in that line. Uh, took that approach and that worked and that will always work because that's who they think of a wrestler is you know for better or worse yeah that's the, I mean, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that and there are guys who have it I mean, Ric Flair is a guy who went it both ways Dusty Rhodes is another guy as we move yep. on you know who was technically superb and dramatically thrilling um, and was a larger than life superstar um, absolutely you can have it all ways but it's you know, as far as like reaching that mega international audience, you know, The Rock is another one. I mean, you look at the draws that that Vince wanted. Clearly, he wanted The Rock, as in Rocky Maivia, to be yeah. the star, not Steve yeah. Austin. Steve Austin was kind of forced on him, and he rolled with it because he wasn't stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Rocky Maivia was clearly, you know, third generation, built to the last absolute superstar natural athlete body from god you know he's perfect and he fits that mold absolutely perfectly in the in the lineage of billy graham hulk hogan you know the rock when you look at guys like randy savage and steve austin who were champions despite vince's preferences you yeah. know they they cut their own niche and they were still lives than life superstars as well Absolutely. You know, and they were technically great, you know, yeah. as well. So you can have it all. You can. Yeah. It, it, it's just, we're discussing this X Factor thing here with Billy Graham because that's kind of the key takeaway from his career is his legacy is, you know, what it's left with the wrestling world with. It had a massive legacy on what the growth of wrestling, not necessarily to his benefit because it was kind of past his prime period, but certainly, you know, without him, the 80s wrestling scene doesn't happen. 
it's crazy. Like it's it sounds like we're 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 beating beating this to death. And it's like, no, I mean, it can't be overstated. <laughs> Every time you watch one anything on this playlist, you're like, Wow, this is the seventies or this is the eighties. And it's just <laughs> it's just crazy that it's like so like we'll talk a little bit later on about uh, the cage match and stuff like that as well. Yeah, that happened in the seventies. Like <laughs> yeah. this, this class cage match, like just randomly there, you know. And it's 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 really is wild. And to anyone listening now, do yourself a favor and stop the podcast, watch this playlist, and then come back um, because it really will add. Con- you really will be able to see what we're talking about, you know. Yeah, and we're going to move forward. We're in Florida Championship Wrestling, and it's 1977, and the Florida Heavyweight Champion is superstar Billy Graham going up against the number one babyface ter- draw in the territory, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, this yes. is this is it. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, this is, you've got, like, um, uh, one of the best book territories in, in the country. You've got, like... Um, two of the best wrestlers in the, the two of the biggest draws, I say the wrestlers in the country. And you've got a high angle, you've got Gordon Solly on commentary. What more could you want in life? <laughs> um, Oliver Humperdinck managing Billy Graham, who is absolutely shocked that Billy Graham has lost the Florida Heavyweight Championship. Dusty Rhodes in full-on babyface mode. Um, it's a little short highlight reel, but it kind of highlights what WWE um, Championship Wrestling from Florida was kind of about at the time. Mm. One filmed, not videoed, I say to you, filmed from camera shot from the rafters of the ring with Gordon Solly's task of bringing it all to life. And he did every week on a stellar basis. But again, it shows you, it's just the timing stuff. Like um, Billy has a, a bear hug on Dusty and Dusty breaks it and Billy waits for his moment and just grabs it back on again. And it's just like, that's so, it's just so dramatic. It's so simple. It is it's so easy and yeah. it just makes so much sense and it's just so well done. And I mean it, it goes back to you know it's it's you know the, the kiss method with everything usually works. Keep it simple, stupid, you know. And I guess this is why they had Dusty Rhodes not only teaching promos but teaching, you know, ring psychology and all that, you know, all that all the stuff that makes wrestling wrestling. It's not just flippy flippy kick spot, kick spot, super kick, slap toy, you know, it's like mm. It's this simple stuff that gets people involved and pulls everyone in. And look, I'm not a huge fan of Dusty Rhodes. Never was. I, you know, I, I really like Stardust. So <laughs> take that with a with a grain of salt. I can't stand Cody Rhodes. Um, but my God, is this match good? For all the reasons that you said, and for many more, it's like Dusty understood it and got it. And you can't help but respect when you see this. You know, like right, this is why they respect the Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. This is why he was so good, you know. And I said, I'm not a fan of, I wouldn't be a fan of, of Dusty Rhodes before I saw this. Mm. This is, this, this changed my outlook on him completely. That's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. I guess Dusty gets, Dusty gets a rep more from being a booker than he does for being a wrestler. Yes. And how great he was. Yeah. And that would be me. Yeah. That, yeah. that would, that's the position yeah. I would have been on. Yeah. You know, because as a booker in the 80s, he did some fun stuff and he did some great stuff. Uh, Often his mind overran his budget and mm. the ability of the people he was working with, because he tended to think in cinematic kind of ways. Um, but equally, you know, he was a money draw, and Billy Graham was a money draw, and they were both larger than life characters 
who knew exactly what to say because they could talk people into the building. And that's all they needed to do. And after that, it was all gravy. So, yeah. you know, we've got, I've put some more Dusty Rhodes matches on this because that was the key feud of his WWF title run. But that WWF title run had to start somewhere. And it started with Bruno San Martino in Baltimore, Maryland on the 4th, 30th of April, 1977. And this was the end of Billy Graham's uh, run. Sorry, not Billy, Billy Graham's. Bruno Sammartino's run with the WWF Championship. Um, Bruno had been pushing for Billy to take over the title. Bruno was done. <laughs> At this point, he'd had enough of the grind. He'd had enough of the trips to Japan and the trips to South America to defend the title. He wanted to go do something different. And um, he was kind of like, he wanted to renegotiate um his deal with the WWF as it was then, or Coliseum Sports, I think it was back then, wasn't it? Vince McMahon Senior's ownership of the country. And he finally persuaded Vince Senior to put the belt on Billy Graham. Vince Senior wasn't keen because he liked a baby face draw, but Bruno said, no, he's going to be fine. He'll do the job. And I'm not sure exactly how long his run was. I think it was about 18 months. Um, but he was indeed the man. Um, as he took over the championship run um, and he would drop the belt. Um, yeah. Just over a year later. And he was the, and he was literally the only guy who was a heel champion in that period. who wasn't a transitional champion, you know, like Stan Stasiak, Ivan Koloff had the belt for a couple of days. Even Buddy Rogers was, well, you've heard, have you heard the Buddy Rogers story? about? No, the, but you, you just, you, you just said Stan Stasiak and my brain just went to meet. Yeah. His dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, to know, uh, Sean Sajak was his uh, was his son, also known as Meat. Yes, Jim. So, oh my god! Imagine, oh, uh, imagine Sorry, being, imagine being Stan Sajak and how disappointed you'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I just had to. I, I, well, I mean, Sorry. Stan Stay. I mean, this was the second champion. This was Bruno's second championship one. I do have to apologise. His first championship one ended to Stan Sajak, who held the belt for two days and then dropped it to Pedro Morales. Oh. So I suppose, you know, <laughs> perennial, the transitional champion. So how do you feel about being Sean Stasiak now? <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, it, I think this is this is the thing. Have you heard, the, have you heard the, the Buddy Rogers story? No, go on. So Buddy Rogers was the, w, the first WWWF champion. Um, okay. And he was known for being bit domineering in the dressing room because that was the style of the time. Bruno had full creative control. He did what he wanted to. You know, it, those that was the that was the deal. If you were champion, you you ran your own show. Um and and Buddy came in and he would always bring his own guys in and the locker room would get like brassed off because you know they would be suddenly out of work despite the fact they were there for a long period of time. And eventually then senior after about three weeks realized he made a mistake and um uh, he says um, to, he, he wanted Bruno to come back to the WWF to, to challenge for the title. And Bruno says, I'll come. But basically, he got pushed out of the company when Buddy Rogers turned up and he'd gone to wrestle in Toronto. And he said, I'll wrestle, I'll come back and I'll be champion, but I wrestle every Tuesday night in Toronto. And Vince was like, no, no I can't do that. He said, then I ain't coming. <laughs> And Vince Senior was like, all right, then you can wrestle every Tuesday night in Toronto. And that was the deal. Wow. And um, reportedly, Buddy didn't know anything about it. Bruno gets to the ring. 
And after the referee's instructions, he looked Buddy in the eye and said, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Wow. So 30 seconds later, Bruno Sammartino was WWWF heavyweight champion. Of the Proper screw job. Yeah, that's it. That was the first one as well, the first to screw job. Wow. Yeah. That's what Bruno said on numerous recordings, you might understand. The story was always like, oh, Buddy, was, Buddy had a heart attack, had a heart issue, which he did have. Mm. and had to drop the belt but it was kind of a cover for the fact that bruno would have just won anyway with whether whether buddy had uh, whether buddy had uh, complied or buddy had chosen not to comply didn't really matter because bruno was a proper eye case he knew what he was doing as you said it was uh (laughs) the easy way or the hard way (laughs) easy way or the hard way (laughs) okay (laughs) geez that's wild yeah, that's so crazy. Two hundred and eighty pound man who's built like a brick outhouse, and you know has a reputation. Says that. What do you do? Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but then again, that's and that's one of the reasons why they made sure back in those days the belt won on a guy who could look after himself. Yeah, and I mean, he wasn't one of those guys. He was an absolute stellar draw. Knew the business inside out. Could make money for you left, right, and centre. But if he became a problem, it was easy enough to get rid of. And this is why wrestling is still super carny. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the it's, it, Buddy Rogers is the reason why um, Carl Gotch couldn't get work in North America. Buddy really? Yeah, he got blackballed because Buddy Rogers didn't trust him and therefore he just got word around that Carl Gotch was untrustworthy so we had to start again in Japan. Wow. Um, yeah, there you go. Because that's that's the way it was by then. Arguably, Carl Gotch could have torn his head off so it was perfectly understandable. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just how wrestling was back in the day. But Bruno believed in Billy Graham, and Bruno was more than prepared to drop the championship to Billy Graham so that he could go and have an easy life about things and not have to worry about being the top dog in New York, which was a high-pressure job. You know, it wasn't just... I mean, it was obviously it was wrestling all around the Northeast. You were working... What's the old, the old saying? is like uh, five, five days a week. Six, sorry, seven days a week and twice on Sunday, isn't it? Six days a week and twice on Sunday. He was doing all of that. He was going off to Japan to defend the belt for New Japan Pro Wrestling um, because they had an association deal. He had promoters in Brazil who was using him. He was traveling all over the world and being a world heavyweight champion. And he had enough and he was done. And he thought Billy was the man. And it turned out, yeah, he was indeed the man for that particular period of time. He was just the right guy. He didn't just appeal to, um, as a heel, he was the first cool heel. He was right. the first guy that he always had a small part of the crowd that always ready to cheer for him because it's New York. Yeah. And, you know, some people in New York are not that pleasant and they like guys who aren't that pleasant. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> They're like, we know this guy. We like this guy. Yeah, we like this guy. He appealed to a certain type of person. Um, he just reminded me of the, he was the, the, the guy from Brooklyn at, at Brooklyn Brawler? No, no. Non-wrestling thing. It's just something okay. I propped up on my reels the other day. I've not stopped laughing about it since. So the guy from Brooklyn's at college and the professor go and starts talking about when Argentina invent, invaded the Falkland Islands. Right. And the guy from Brooklyn goes, no, professor, what fucking islands are we talking about? And the professor goes, there's only one Falkland Islands. And he goes, no. <laughs> you see those little bits of dirt in the sea? They're fucking islands. You got fucking islands over there and fucking islands over there. So oh. which one do I put on the fucking test? Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, 
So yeah, <laughs> that's because that's it. stuck in my head. But yeah, I love it. But so those guys, he appealed to them. It wasn't yeah. all clean cut baby face. And I don't necessarily think Vince Senior got it. He was more than happy to make money out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, but, look, you can't just always have your white meat baby face. It's just, it's not for everybody, you know, like there are some people that are always going to be, are always going to want something else. And we kind of touched on it earlier on, you know, where Austin became like the biggest, Mm. one of the biggest draws ever. And he wouldn't have been, you know, he was anything but your white white meat baby face, you know, I think one of the only times that that's actually really kind of happened in WWE. Um, And yeah, it's because of the same thing. He appealed to the working man. You know, yeah, that's it. And he's he's got an edge to him that I don't think Vince Senior quite understood either. In the sense of he's not edgy, you know, he's still like we said, he's still an evangelical Christian. He's not like yep. going to be anything else than a fairly you know clean cut guy in his personal life. But he's got an edge to him of counterculture. And he understands that audience that's that's rooting for him, even if he doesn't want them to. Yes. You know, there's a yeah. level there that he gets, and he's playing towards that while still being the horrible heel most people want to boo. Yeah. And it's and that, but that's that's the balance, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I I might not like you, but you know, you still want you still want to see them win. You still want them to be this. You know, and and that's kind of like the hard. It's like the difference between go away heat and I want to see you beat heat. Yeah. They're very different things. You know, I like again Roman Reigns, right? Lots of people hate mm-hmm. Roman Reigns, but you really want to see him lose. Oh yeah, don't that's you? It. Yeah, that's it. You really want to see him lose, and I think that's the important part. It's like, oh, I hate this person. Now, if you really hate him, you want him to go away. Yeah, that's yeah. the difference. You 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 you'd have you wouldn't feel anything either way. You you wouldn't yeah. care. I think that's that's where this conversation gets a bit more interesting. As it was me and um, John looked at a series of shows last last week, and Tai Chi, who's one of our favorite wrestlers now, but wasn't always one of my favorite wrestlers, is really young and he's just turned heel, and the fans are chanting "Tai Chi, go home" in <laughs> Japanese, obviously. Right. And, it's, and it's like, and it's because he's he's everything the opposite of wrestling should be. He's a coward. He begs up. He screams in pain when somebody hits him. You right. know, he, he's he's not very good, but he's playing a long game story, and that long game story sees him now as a series main eventer. Yeah, and, and, and I mean that's that's what you want. Like, yeah, they they have to grow. There has to be some yeah. kind of. There's a reason why when a lot of wrestlers debut, um, they start off as heels. Because it's a lot easier for get people to hate you, but getting people to hate you and then be interested in what you do, yeah. that's something that, you know. And, and like you said, thing. those fans don't want him to go home. Or no. else they wouldn't chant anything at all. Exactly. They just sit there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just sit there and like, yeah. you know, I'll be honest with you, there's nothing more, like you're a performer, I'm a performer as well. Like again, like yeah. you don't really care if, you know, the worst thing you can happen is play to a crowd and nothing happens. They do yeah. not. They just stand there. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> that's, Van, that's that's the worst. The stuff Van Halen line, isn't it? Van Halen one. Uh, we came here to entertain you, even if we aggravate you. Don't you know it means the same to me? Yeah, and I think that's, that's it. it. And, and 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 it's important that like when you're looking at wrestling or any kind of entertainment, any kind of reaction at all, 
is really yeah. good because again, <laughs> if they're just sitting there, sitting on their hands, no interest, go away. They're not doing their job. No, that's it. And this is all heat. This isn't yeah. a technical wrestling match because Bruno and Billy aren't technical wrestlers. Though no, are, this is they are all, gifted. Yeah. They are gifted at that, but they don't need it. This is Irish whips and clotheslines and body slams. That's all you need in this particular environment. Bear rugs that last for five minutes because you've got the crowd on the edge of your seat, and that's all you need to do the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Indeed. Shall we move on, sir? Let's go for it. And here we are, indeed. Madison Square Garden, the following October, WWWF heavyweight champion Bully Graham defending its Dusty Rhodes in a Texas death match. This, they, they had a regular match, which Dusty lost. I think he lost by count out, which is a good cover. <laughs> so this, is, this is a perfect textbook example of protecting your baby face at all costs. Um, so Dusty, who is like the, the king babyface promo in North American wrestling at this particular time. Mm. And, and superstar Billy Graham is the king um, of, um, you know, uh, heel, heel promotion as well. And they just, it's just, just talk them into the building. Talk that all you have to do. And after that, do anything you like. And oh, this is, after this that is doesn't the, matter. the classic Dusty match of you know, coming frustratingly close, so close, but not taking the championship belt home. But it leaves them wanting more so they can go again. And indeed they do. Yeah. And this this was a period I think everything Billy Graham did for this particular year did a sellout at MSG. Wow. They, they couldn't you couldn't find a ticket in New York for this. I mean that says it all. Like yeah. That says it all, really. It's and you can the crowd is so hot as well for it that you're like well okay and watch this special here and you you can just you know again watch it yourself from before this match even starts has you know a, a big fight feel like an actual big fight feel not mm. not the sterile wrestling big fight feel like that crowd is hot yeah like over yeah <laughs> this this is you want a living definition of how to be over these guys are over yeah you know absolutely and, like completely uh, completely like it, it again it's that it's that superstar feel where it's like well what's the difference between a wrestler and a superstar well there you go like that's, it. <laughs> that's it, it you know and the amazing thing is dusty didn't even wrestle for the wwwf at the time, he's still in Florida. He's going up there every once in a while to do spot shows and stuff, but he's not a regular. That's insane. Yeah. You know, everything he's doing is in a different territory where he owns the place. Oh, wow. You know, he's, he's like, he's going into Florida and going into all those armories in Florida and, and turning him loose. What does he describe it as? The, the audience in Florida at the time was uh, a farmhand and his wife who had to. So he described it as a farmhand and his wife and or girlfriend who could either afford the dress or the underwear. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got them eating out the palm of his hand. And then he goes up to New York and he does this. And it's like, and then you put him against the Grand Wizard, mm. the greatest manager of all time, and Bruno and, and Billy Graham, the biggest heel ever at that particular point in time. Because Grand Wizard was, you know, he's a wrestling genius as well. Yeah. You know, he guy made a career out of just aggravating people for 20 years. <laughs> Again, getting a reaction. Yeah, that's it. Because he was he was the idol because Vince Senior would run 
he would run the Grand Wizard against Bruno San Martino because it meant forever draw. Because Wizard picks a monster, the monster has a bunch of matches with Bruno, Bruno vanquishes him. Grand Wizard goes and finds another monster to take a Bruno. And then, you know, the Grand Wizard's kind of run his thing out. So you get another heel manager to come in. And then Grand Wizard comes back again. And Grand Wizard's obsession is get rid of Bruno San Martino. Much the same as Bobby Heenan had with Hulk Hogan in the 80s. It's the same kind of feel. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just genius. It's just absolute wrestling at its simplest, executed perfectly. Can't ask more than that. No, you can't. And Grand Wizard was the mentor of Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman was his driver in the, <laughs> in the 80s, and he picked his brain every chance he's got because Paul Heyman's a smart guy. But there you go. Wild. Shall we move on? Because we've talked yep. an awful lot about that, and I think probably we should probably save it for the last one because the last one's okay. just epic. <laughs> um, next up, even more of the same. It's uh, May. Actually, I've got the orders the wrong way around. This one's May, so this one will be one of the first title defenses uh, of uh, Billy Graham's um, run as WWF Heavyweight Champion. He's picked up Grand Wizard as his manager, and he's going against perennial babyface Gorilla Monsoon. And I forgot how Gorilla was actually really quite good. For a guy yeah. who was just big and lumpy. So, I, so <laughs> I've never seen Gorilla Monsoon outside of being Gorilla Monsoon, the famous wrestler yeah. on in the Adji there, who wasn't, you know, where he was retired and an elf of den. So this was quite eye-opening for me, actually. Yeah. For those of you watching it on the, on the playlist, this is in two parts. Yes. And Gorilla's just this big dude. And, you know, he's... He's 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 pretty mobile for the size he is, and he's got a strong sense of presence. And he just calmly waits for Billy to do his thing, lets him do his thing, takes his ring jacket off, and then let's go. Yeah, and it's just great. It is. Yeah, and Gorilla was Gorilla actually was the founder of the WWC promotion in um, in Puerto Rico. You remember when we did the Hot Night by Moon? Yep. A few years back. Um, he actually owned that promotion at that time. Oh, wow. <laughs> him, him and Carlos Colon co-founded that promotion around about this time. And uh, he kept stake in that until, uh, I think, until the late 90s when WWF went massive. And I think Vince said, you can't really own another promotion whilst working for us. <laughs> Which is fair. And we were like, all right. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, yeah. But this is this kind of like is kind of the archetypical Billy Graham or uh, well, a WWF main event match of that particular time period. Two big monsters going up against each other in the main. And, and again, it's got a big fight feel. And you, you feel drawn into it, don't you? Yeah, no, you absolutely do. Like, it, it's is it a technical masterclass? No. But that crowd didn't care. Uh, when you're watching it, you don't really care either because you're like, okay, you know, how is Billy going to take down Greta Monsoon? Like, you know, and it's it's wild because I'm like I'm used to seeing Gorilla Monsoon as this small, old man, yeah. and then you see him in there as this hulking behemoth, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I think it, I think that was something that's like him and Gorilla Monsoon and Bruno Sammartino sold out the garden twenty six times in a row. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and it's not it's not technical mastery that did that. It's just presence and draw yeah. that's all it is that's all it is yeah, yeah. B- basic wrestling 101 here's what yeah. works your meat and potatoes you know that's it 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it's the same as, like, we, we talk about this a lot. I mean, you know, Dusty was doing it down in Florida as well, but you had a lot of great technical wrestlers down in Florida too. And this wouldn't have flown in Memphis, if you see what I mean, you know. And, like, the Carolinas was about a different style of wrestling because the promoters in those areas had told the fans what the draw was. And the fans either bought into it or they didn't. Like, tag team wrestling was a massive draw in Memphis for generations because that's what they had and they were really good at it so that's what became the draw hmm. you know um and this this style of big main event style wrestling was what went sold in new york because that's what the draw was yeah. you know and it kind of go it went back to the days of ed strangle lewis and you know we said strangle lewis was a massive draw and and um, you look at all of those big names from that particular area and who was booking that? Toots Mon, who trained Vince McMahon Senior. Well, that was Toots Mon. <laughs> and so the 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 lineage go the lineage goes through. You know, it's there's there's a manifest destiny to the WWF or New York wrestling in general because I think it was actually destined to take over the world. Yeah, I but I would I would uh I'd believe that too. Yeah, it's not. I don't think obviously Vince Senior didn't want that to happen because he was he was too ultra traditionalist mm. the actual like there's a there's a there's a lineage from watching this stuff to watching Hulk Hogan versus Greg Valentine to watching um The Rock versus Steve Austin which yeah. doesn't sound it doesn't sound like there is but there absolutely is oh no there absolutely is like yeah. it's it's it just all the pieces just kind of fell in in the right sequence and that doesn't happen without some kind of divine intervention, or maybe not divine intervention, you know, whatever <laughs> devil and demon Vince sold the soul to, like, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you can just kind of see it, and it's like Vince is there. He's one of the common denominators with these big event, these big events, and it's just like, oh well, okay, cool. Yeah. Let's move on now to 1978 and the final payoff in the superstar Billy Graham Dusty Rose match. Now. Uh, we, actually, we should just talk about the Bob Backlund match. Bob Backlund takes the title from Billy Graham in February of 1978. There's mm. a short clip of the match. Yes. And it's kind of a bit of a squib ending to Billy Graham's kind of career in the sense of it's it's a perfectly fine finish, but it, it protects Billy Graham, but it doesn't really, he's not really doing the job here, is he? No. No, no, no. It's, it's, not... It, it, it's not as, as um, like Bob Backlund was always very boring. Um, I think that was literally his gimmick. <laughs> um, there wasn't really much to it. You know, the next match is a, is a bull rope match, and it's a lot better. It is, it's true. But, you know, it, all good things come to an end. Yes. And Bob Backlund was the next guy in line. Um, and Bob Backlund was kind of a throwback in the sense of he was a genuine art case. Um, that chicken wing uh, finisher of his that he used in, the, in his 90s run, yeah, he could do it. It really hurt because <laughs> um, he used to use it in, his, in the shoot promotions in Japan. You know, as a finisher there as well. Um, but yes, it, it's a short clip of him losing the championship because we thought we should include it because obviously it's the it, you've got to have a finish to these things. But the actual money was Dusty Rose versus Billy Graham. With the championship out of the way, you can have a match that goes beyond all expectations. And by this point, Dusty had become the master of the bull rope match. So it was the obvious thing to do. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's very hard to do one of these matches. Like we've talked about it on, on the Rewind a couple of times. Um, 
bull rope matches, strap matches, chain matches, dog collar matches, whatever you want to call them. You, you know, any of these kind of matches where you're tethered to someone, very difficult. Very, very difficult to do. Um, because they're, they're kind of boring. And you're also really, you're kind of in the hands of the person you're working with in a very real sense. So if, if you're working with somebody who's kind of shit, uh, the match is going to be kind of shit. If you're working with somebody who can go, uh, you're gonna, you're really going to have a good match. And I think, you know, this was always destined to be a good match. And you can see why Dusty can do what he could do because this was a very good match. Yeah, this is the thing. It's it's essentially this match basically boils down to a bear hug and an elbow. Yeah, <laughs> but you're invested in all of it. Oh yeah, that but the roller coaster ride. Do you take you onto that elbow? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, the thing of it is, you know, you don't need to have all the matches all the time with all this kind of stuff. You just need to have the right connection, the right uh, moves to to connect with the audience and drag you in. And that's what they're able to do. And it, it really is like, again, so simple. It is. And so it, simple. It's one of the things I've applauded WWE for in the last couple of years is because they've got away from the, oh, we've got to have a hell in a cell match. It's like, why? Yeah. Do, do two people hate each other enough that it requires a Hell and Cell match to finish the feud? Oh no, well, we just want to give you the opportunity of being in a Hell and Cell. Well, why are you doing it then? Yeah. You know, Look, if, if everything is, it's like if everything is five stars, nothing is. Yeah. And exactly. that's something that a lot of people need to kind of understand. If yeah. everything is a big deal, nothing is. And wrestling is that case in point, you know? Yeah, this is it. It's, this, this match is not a wrestling classic in, in the purest sense. It's not even brawling classic in no. the sense of, I am sure John Dinsdale um, could come up with five death matches that happened this year that were technically more proficient than this matches. And that's fine. But they weren't done in front of a sellout crowd in, front of, in Madison Square Garden. And there you they go. Weren't, they weren't, you know, done by two guys who transcended what pro wrestling was. No, they were doing it for, uh, uh, a, for a hot dog and a handshake. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it's this was this was big money wrestling. This is as big as it got at the time. You know, this is this is closed circuit television. So you know, you've got the early days of what would be pay per view money in this. You know, there's all sorts of things that are going on in this particular period of time. And you know, this is the period of Muhammad Ali. These two very much borrowed from Muhammad Ali as far as promos was concerned. And you know. And of course, Muhammad Ali borrowed from pro wrestling. He was a big fan of um, Gorgeous George, and that's where he got his style from. You know, his style of delivery and rhymes and everything else. You know, um, and Muhammad Ali would be obviously a big influence on WWF and New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, but specifically about promos. And again, Gorgeous George was not. By any stretch of the imagination, a stellar worker. <laughs> no, I wouldn't imagine it would be. His draw was the fact he was gorgeous, George. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in fact, there's a film um, called The Beautiful One, I think it is. And it's um, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, mm. who, and the film, it wasn't a biopic of gorgeous George Britain. It was, you know, based on his, his life. And, um, and it, the, the, the basic, all of that is Henry Winkler's character is the most unathletic human being alive. Um, so he comes up with a character that's a Nazi because this, then, you know, he's just going to get heel heat all the time. And all he does to do is hit the other guy in the head with his horned helmet and that's it done. That's <laughs> game over. <laughs> that's, 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 all, that's all it has to do. 
And like he becomes this massive star, star that tells the country that doesn't have wrestling matches because he just hits people in the head and tell them. And that's what Gorgeous George was. Gorgeous George's ring entrances was five and seven minutes, five, 10, 15 minutes long because it didn't matter what he did in the wrestling ring. That's not what you paid to see. And what this you is what to see is Gorgeous George aggravating you. And I've said this about uh, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is one of my fa- is probably my favorite wrestler who can't wrestle. <laughs> yeah, great until he gets in the ring, and then that's that's it. <laughs> it's yeah, over, yeah. you know. I mean, I mean, there's 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 terrible wrestlers who've been big stars who I can't stand, and there's terrible wrestlers who I quite enjoy because they're big stars. Yeah, like Tiger Jeet Singh was a dreadful wrestler, and I don't know how he got to be a draw because he was a dreadful wrestler and uninterested. <laughs> well, that's, which is a fatal combination that is a fatal combination you know if you're going to be bad don't be boring you know if you're going to be bad don't be boring and incredibly selfish yeah. <laughs> so he's like yeah did, uh, probably a good couple of years since I told this story but he's wrestling at Sushi Anita in Kawasaki Baseball Stadium Anita dumps him into the electrified barbed wire DDTs him and power bombs him and he kicks out on three Huh. <laughs> oh my god. That's just... like, let it down. <laughs> that's just selfish. That's all that is. That's just like it's just oh selfish. My god. That's Hulk Hogan level, you know. Oh, oh you didn't really beat me. Really. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this 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 match is you've got to see this match. You do. Dusty, Dusty yeah. does end up losing. I don't think we're spoiling for anybody from a match that happened in 1978. But Dusty does end up losing. But it's just such a wonderful match to see. It just, is uh, even just from pure drawing power and nothing else. Yeah, like uh, it's not long. It's long enough, but it's not like crazy long. It's just a good match. It's it, it's it's almost like a textbook. Sorry, how to do one of these matches. And I mean, yes. anyone who would book one of these uh, you know we, the, the only other two wrestlers i've seen actually able to do these kind of matches are raven and punk and mm. it's up there with both of them so that's high praise i think as well it's the the limitations of that deathmatch style it kind of it doesn't lay the foundations for what we've talked about with anita and the fmw stuff yeah but keeping the danger special like they're not just hammering each other. And this cage match that we're going to watch now between Hiroshi Kimura and Superstar Billy Graham from 1979 for the IWE Heavyweight Championship. IWE were international wrestling enterprises was uh, another indie that was making a play for being the third company in Japan at the time. Right. Uh, was it well, I don't, and this was for the IWA Championship. So it's kind of like from the old IWA it evolved into this. Um, and one of the things they were doing, they were they were the first Japanese company to do cage matches. Right, but this obviously Graham has a lot of experience with cage matches because he's worked in North America, so he's an ideal person to bring into this particular environment. But also, they're not going to the barbed wire. Sorry, not going to the cage all the time. It's it's you know it's a it's something they're trying to steer clear of because that's going to hurt. And you know that's the kind of thing that really lays the foundation for what comes later with deathmatch wrestling, in the sense of you didn't need a ton of wrestling maneuvers in those death matches because someone's going to end up in landing in barbed that explodes. Exactly. <laughs> so, Everyone, so. Every, every, like the wrestling is almost superfluous because you're like you're waiting for the blood and guts. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is kind of like on that level in the sense of it's still superstar Billy Graham. He's got that level of presence that's just drawn this massive crowd for this particular match. Yeah. 
and it's in a cage. And yep. it's with Rosh Kimura, who's another massive star who's kind of like reached beyond the did he invent the did he did he invent the Kimura lock? Is that no, who that is? Different Kimura. Okay, different Kimura. Okay. The early the, the early Kimura was um he was a guy who was around in the 1950s. Um I'll look up Kimura Lock because I'll know that guy. Kimura Lock. Um he was in the Ricky Dozen era. Um okay. and um Masahiko Kimura, not okay. Rushi Kimura. Rushi Kimura was just like more like a pure wrestling worker, whereas that Kimura was, um, he was around in Ricky Dozan area. There is actually video of Ricky Dozan shooting on Kimura, which was ill advised. Because <laughs> <laughs> Kimura knew which side his bread was wood on and took his beating, but he didn't need to because he could have just walloped. Um, um, Ricky Dozan, if he wanted to, but Ricky Dozan was the biggest star in Japanese wrestling, bigger than any wrestling star ever has been, possibly anywhere in the world. Um, and so, therefore, Kimura just, just laid there and got his head kicked in because he knew which, which side his bread was put on, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> but it is just bizarre because Ricky Dozan, they get booked into a match, and for some reason, Ricky Dozan doesn't trust it and just decides to go all out and shoot on him. And then huh. Kimura was like, oh, what's going on? it's <laughs> <laughs> a bit weird to be honest with you but there you go because it's that's like fair. you know Kimura's not going to just beat Ricky Dozan for no apparent reason because like that's the massive wrestling joint in the country no, thank <laughs> you for uh, thank you for telling me because I, I would have that would have stuck in my craw for a little while to be like oh I need to say where is it you know yeah, so I appreciate it yeah it's a bit uh, you can go watch it uh, it's, it's not particularly entertaining it's fairly terrifying but it's been not particularly entertaining but yeah go watch it yeah, we'll do um, yeah there's uh, the, the Japanese wrestling in the 50s is full of bizarre Ricky Dozan stuff. Um, <laughs> like Ricky Dozan, we, we watched a JWA, like JWA used to do the tournament, like the G1 or the Carnival tournament, obviously, because they were the first company to do it. And we watched one year, me and John watched one year, and Ricky Dozan gets knocked out in the first round in the in the the, the table format. Ogano gets disqualified in the semi-final, and then um in the process of getting disqualified, beats his opponent up that badly that he has to forfeit his final performance. <laughs> so the ultimate for him is Ricky Dozan, who just got disqualified. <laughs> it's like, that's the bizarrest protection of someone I've ever seen. But there you go. Anywho, Rishi Kimura was a big star in Japan in the 1970s, specifically for IWA. And this is... This is actually really pretty good. It's more technical. I think it's probably not as good as the Mayu Inoue match from a technical point of view. But again, it's Billy Robert, Billy, no, Billy um, Graham. And we're not that bothered about technical wrestling, are we? No. Not so at this what point. Did, what did you think of this overall? Um, interesting. And for, for a number of reasons, but... Mainly, as I said, it wasn't technical. There was nothing technical about this. I wouldn't ever use that word for it. But it was surprising in how... Obviously, Billy Graham's getting up there at this point. Mm. Uh, how brutal it was, you know? Um, and I think that's what that's what stuck with me after watching it. You know, it yeah. was very, 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 very hard-hitting. Um, and it, it would set the precedent for any of these matches going forward. Yes, I think certainly in Japan. I mean, I think yeah. um, not necessarily in the mainstream companies because all Japan and New Japan wouldn't touch cage matches because yeah. it was not the done thing for them. No, but it was not. No, but all Japan women did. <laughs> <laughs> and is if you watch 
what this reminds me of and was probably influential on was Paul Lucano versus Akira Hokuto in uh, 92, I want to say, because that was all spectacle in the same way this is. It's like, it's not so much, they, I mean, Nakano and Hokuto are far back wrestlers than these two have wielded, don't get me wrong. God bless them, these two are great, but like Akira Hokuto could out wrestle Daniel Bryan seven days a week. So, <laughs> so you know, um, Nakano was one of the best female wrestlers I ever saw, and Hokuto was as well, and arguably top five all time wrestlers, never, not mind women, just wrestlers. Um, so they could use all of the toys. Um, and then, so they put that wrestling match in the cage, but the actual, the violence stuff, they hold off in much the same way as they do here. You know, yeah. this, this interesting little story is like superstar trying to escape, even though it's non-escape rules, it's pinfall rules. So there's all sorts of things like that, trying to get away, you know, and Kimura's not letting him because he wants to beat him like in the ring because he's the noble Japanese champion. You know, it's all of those things. And, and again, it's Superstar Billy Graham. He doesn't need to do a ton of stuff to make this great because of yeah. that presence he has. But he and, does do. And he's got a big bump machine in this match as well. And the cage specifically as well, it has this, it has the same aura as like the real WWE cage. And for me, that's the, the, the chain link fence, not the big mm. bars. I always think a chain link fence looks better. It actually kind of looks like an old... Uh, um, an old uh, the house match that you'd normally see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it feels like an old house match, a house match cage. You know. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's really good. We'll move on to the next yep. one, which I um, the short NWA career of Billy Graham. He did several bits and pieces in the NWA. Um, the one we're looking at is from. Um, World Championship Wrestling uh, in uh, this would have been the Carolines. Would it have been Carolines? Or did it just been? Yeah, I suppose so. Because mm. uh, it's number one, Paul Jones, who was the top heel manager at the time, and his protege, Abdullah the Butcher, who was doing a bit of a stretcher job on Billy Graham as they mm. were saying up for a few for something else. Billy mm. Graham, I think, would eventually end up being wrestling for but number one, Paul Jones, um, and turn heel and have this kind of like martial arts gimmick. Which was never going to work because he's not much like this, but any stretch of imagination. Um, but yeah, so this was this was the old NWA. We got Tony Schiavone looking about 12 years old. There's one of the copies there. So young. <laughs> he's so young. <laughs> that hair is amazing. It's just fascinating. He's got a similar haircut now, but it's just it, just back then it just stands out as and that yeah. tash. That tash is a the tash is, yeah. I, that's what I was gonna say. I'm like, what 12-year-old has a tash like that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. And basically, it's a TV match, and the idea is Abdullah's trying to beat Billy up so the top guy in Paul Jones's organization doesn't have to deal with Billy. Yeah, and it's just basic heat. That's it. And this is a hundred percent. This is a hundred percent a Jesse Ventura style. Like Billy Graham literally looks like uh, no, sorry, it looks like Jesse just watched Billy Graham and took yeah. everything from oh, yeah, him yeah. at this point. He looks absolutely absolute spitting image of him. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Even moves like him. It's 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 surreal. Did you notice he was um collecting coats at ringside? No. I'm watching it now and I've just realized who it was. Um it was Teddy Long. 
No way. That was actually Teddy Long's first job. Hilo, no way. Yeah, Teddy Long's first job in, in pro wrestling was in the Atlanta TV studios called doing ringside collection of, of equipment. And then he moved on to being a referee and then a manager. Wow, he looks so young. I just saw him, saw him there. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah he's... Um, he he was ended up working for Ollie Anderson, who was another avid racist. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I am not telling this story. I'm uh, this was I'll t- Teddy Long's told this story before. He he was on a they were doing a big show in Atlanta, and um, Teddy wasn't booked on the show as a referee, and he went to see Ollie. He was sat in the booking office with his best mate, T-Bob Bassam, who was black, by the way. Um, and, and Tyler says, can I ask why I'm not booked? And he said, because the only need, we only need one N-word on this oh show. My God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, and no. T- and and said, I'm sorry. And T-Bob said, you heard the man. He only needs one N-word on this show, and that's me. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. That's... And that, Yes, so that was the times they were living in. Big yeah. yikes. Yeah, big yikes. I mean, there's Abdullah Butcher in this particular show who lived through an awful lot of that. Um, and yeah, it's. It, but there you go. See, Abdullah kind of like, Abdullah will make you money. Therefore, Abdullah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter about Abdullah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean? I'm surprised there was no blood. That's the thing. No. It was just, it was just, a, when, when I saw this on a playlist, I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'll bleed everywhere. No blood. <laughs> just no. This, just this, 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 to be fair, this was a television match. Darren. Still, man, I fully expected him to start bleeding everywhere. You want? You, you wanted some? Um, you, you want some closed circuit? The, the best match of this period um, for that of Abdullah's was you know the night um, Flair for the Goals that big pay per view they did at, yep. um, at Greensboro, North Carolina, when yep. Flair beat when Flair beat Harley Race in the cage. On the undercard of that was Carlos Colon versus Abdullah Butcher. Oh, I've heard about that. And they went full on Puerto Rico for yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the undercard of that particular matter. Sorry, somebody had a word with them. Don't bleed, because Rick and Harley are going to bleed like stuck pigs. Don't, don't bleed too much. Then asking them to not to bleed, if you like. What do you mean? We're breathing, are we? So yeah, but this is a good example of how to get heat and the how to build your baby face. This is the first match we see as Billy as a baby face. And he really hasn't changed an awful lot of his outlook on, you know, his, his wrestling style is very much the same. Um, yeah. He's shaved his head at this point because he's finally yeah. given in to the fact that his hair is not going to work the way it is. Um, he's still the tie-dye superstar though. Mm. And just like the fight drops and all the door that just starts. Oh, it's Barbarian. That was the guy who was supposed to be going up against. Yeah, that, that Barbarian, as in, you know. It's wild because he has the whole he has the the Hulk Hogan hairline, right? Which is mm. the back of his head. Um in in the in the Kimura match. And Hogan just never gave in. No. But, he just never but... gave in. He's like, okay, man, your hairline's at the back of your head. Uh probably should. Uh, no, no, no. So fair play to Billy Graham. He has much more much more self-awareness. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like Hulk Hogan anyway. Like, I think, but just everything that he does, it's like, well, you know what? There, it makes sense. You know, it's like you, you support him and you, you want to see him succeed for all the reasons that you hate Hulk Hogan. You know, <laughs> even down <laughs> to his hair. Like, what was it? There was in WCW when Russo called him a bald son of a bitch and he like threw a fit. And it's like, 
but you are. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's well, apparently that's what upset him being called bald, you know. Um, I was very sensitive to the whole subject. And it, it's was, I mean, it did, there, there was, it did, it did bring event one night with a wig on, so I suppose he is self aware around it as well. So. Maybe, but like with Billy yeah. Graham to see him go from, you know, from, from what he was uh, in one match to the other, it still looks quite good. It's like a proper power move. You know, and it's just like he, he became, you know, still, he's still, you know, the tie-dye superstar. He's still superstar uh, Billy Graham. And it just adds this whole other aura to him. You know, he's like, whoa, he's properly going to kill you. You know, it's probably a good yeah. move for him, to be fair. Definitely. I've, and also, you know, Billy Graham taking advice from a higher power and perhaps Hulk Hogan should have Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it's like, because, you know, at least he does you know, I'm not... I'm not getting flashes of him, you know, being Hulk Hogan, Elseworld Hulk Hogan anymore, which is nice. Because all the way up to this point, it's like, oh, Jesus, that really looks like Hulk Hogan. But, um, yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. Um, we're going to move on to the return to the WWF. As very it underwhelming. This match was very underwhelming. It, yeah, I mean, this is Bruno coming back. Sorry, not Bruno. Well, Bruno coming back was a whole thing. But let's talk mm-hmm. about Billy coming back. Obviously, Billy kind of had a fallout with Vince McMahon Sr. over the way his title reign ended, was a bit underappreciated with Bar- of, um, of uh, Bob Backlund's championship run, obviously went off different places, and was a draw, but didn't really quite get the same level of respect. And he goes back in 1986, uh, basically because Vince McMahon Sr., Vince McMahon Jr. wants him back in the WWF because he believes he can be a mega draw. And you can tell the reason why he loves him so much because he actually popped from Bad to the Bone by George Thorogood to be his theme music. And Vince hates paying people for real music. Oh, he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he really loves does. It. He and really does. Billy comes back as a baby face and it's just not quite clicking, as you quite rightly said. This is a squash match and it's a perfectly quite fine squash match as squash matches of that era went. It was okay. Um, but it just doesn't got the same kind of even the match against Abdullah. There's this fire to it as a baby face. But Billy is really finding his feet in this uh, opening uh, of his return to the WWF. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, the next match, though, I think is uh, I don't know. It, it's a little bit better. Um, I wish the quality was. <laughs> was better but it, it's like it just seems that like it's so actually my question on this um what really happened in the wwe did he ever did he ever well, this is the thing he better he, in 86 he comes back and then he's diagnosed as needing a hip replacement so he they follow that story as part of the story so the first one you see is his re-debut in 86 he then does a whole series of rehabilitation vignettes, which is what WWE were brilliant at at the time, mm. let's be honest. They were, they were great with that stuff. And this is his first match back after his hip replacement. Um, he then lost a few with Don Morocco, a marvellous Morocco, who's kind of like the perfect guy, you know, big muscle guy, perfect heel to have with him. Ends up tagging, ends up managing Morocco at one point, and then just kind of fades away. And that's kind of the end of his career. He's kind of done. And... He has uh, an antagonistic relationship with Vince McMahon Sr. after that. Mm. You know, he goes into the Hall of Fame um, 
he has a fourth return in 2004 and to, to join the Hall of Fame um, uh, and kind of like did some stuff. Um, he, he, yeah, Vince told him that there was going to be a physical Hall of Fame, which obviously there isn't. So he <laughs> sold his WWF Hall of Fame ring. <laughs> Uh, what do you mean it's fair? He, like that's fair. Yeah. Really, also, he, he also needed medication with his liver transplants as well. You know, but also because... in 2004 as well, I think it's worth remembering on that point, the Hall of Fame as we know it now really wasn't a thing. Like they yeah. forgot about it for a couple of years and then brought yeah. it back. So I mean, yeah, 2004 really wasn't worth anything. Yeah. To be yeah. fair. And Triple H, Triple H was the guy that in, induced into the Hall of Fame. You know, he's talking about like influences and stuff. Absolutely. Um, and then they kind of fell out over again. And then he came back in 2006. Um, and then in 2015, he was offered a Legends contract, which he kept up until this year. Um, um, and as much as we don't really hold much to what Uncle Dave says these days, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer wrote, if it wasn't for Billy Graham, this industry would be so much different than it is. Um, although he's a rule bender, Graham has managed to stay very popular with fans, probably because of his skill, strength, and colorful personality. Mm. As a headliner in Madison Square Garden, the W's primary arena throughout the tenure, Graham sold out 19 shows. Which, when you think they were doing one show a month at the Garden, and he sold out 19 of them, wow, that's that's rocking and roll, really absolutely, is, absolutely. So yeah, so that's kind of the life and legacy of Billy Graham. And we haven't gone into great detail about his personal life or his Christian life, but we're a wrestling podcast and we kind of stick to those things. And he will obviously be sadly missed by his family and friends. But obviously there's also that warning part of his life. You know, we're looking at this match from 87. How old was he at that particular point? 87, he would have been... He was born in, he was 44 years old, and he looks a very old 44 years old, and largely because he's taken a lot of big bumps. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. It's, it's crazy. He looks, he looks the same age as he did when he died when he was 46. Yeah. Which yeah. says it all, really. Yeah, that's it. You know, he doesn't look much different, like, literally 40 years later. Yeah. And the difference I mean, is, is, obviously, he stopped taking drugs. And, you know, one of the reasons why he sold his, the main reason why he sold his WFO frame ring was because he needed money for his liver transplant because yeah. of the drugs he took. And probably the steroids. Yeah. So. That's, you know, not, not recreational drugs. He was doing it for professional reason. I suppose there was a sense of ability in that. But also, people just did not know what the side effects were back then. Absolutely. The fact, to be honest with you, the fact that he lived to the age of 79 when we see a lot of his contemporaries did not live that long through because of similar issues is quite remarkable it is how much he looked himself looked after himself at the end of his life i mean fair play it really is uh it, it, it's it's sad that he's gone but he seems to have been gone at a reasonable time if that makes sense rather than you know one of the things that's happened at the rewind is we're looking at shows from 2005 or 2006 Mm. Wrestler's dead. You know, yeah. like we found yeah. that Bald Mahoney died yesterday. I'm like, oh, yeah. Bald Mahoney was great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's just this, this 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 constant disappointment that we have on the show where we're like, oh, where are they now dead? It's like, oh, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we why we're looking at wrestling in Japan is because there's less of that. Yeah. Um. You know, they tend to live. They they weren't so obsessed with bodies, so therefore. 
people tend to live that have longer careers um, and, you know, have longer post-career lives, you know. Um, yeah, they, they can be a person. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, they can have this. And it, as well, another thing that you don't see is like Osaka Pro and what is now DDT Pro Wrestling have programs to transition people out of their wrestling careers. Oh, really? They ensure they have experiences. Osaka Pro used to have a restaurant. So all the retired restaurant, all the retired wrestlers would go work in the restaurant. Oh wow! That's until lovely. they transitioned themselves back into the real life, along and still they still serve food and their masks and stuff. <laughs> and it's like you know, and and um, they would go. Osaka would go and like go and visit local old age pensioners homes just to give people a different experience. Because if you're a Japanese wrestler and you sign one with a company when you're 16, 17 years old, that's that's your life. And there's people who just don't ever, even when they retire, don't ever stop being pro wrestlers in the sense of they just kind of act with a sense of entitlement because they were big stars or they a bunch of treatment like big stars. And that's bad. Yeah. Um, very bad. You know, yeah, very, very bad. bad. Horrific, and, actually. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and Graham had a sense of his own worth and Graham had a sense of his own place in wrestling history as well as a sense of like, you know, which is again dangerous for wrestling in many senses when it comes to the fact that if you know your own worth, Sasha Banks is a good example. Oh, sorry, Mercedes Monet is a good example. She knows her own worth, so she goes where she can earn the money. She can earn the money she wants to do and the things she wants to do. Which is dangerous in this day and age, sir. As far as being a pro wrestler in in the things concerned, but Billy Graham, pretty much a blueprint for that. And a lot of those guys from the seventies, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody did the things they wanted to do on their terms, didn't need anybody else. Hmm. And I'm glad to see that coming back a little bit more. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't have to leave WWE to do that. Bailey's doing the things she wanted to do and doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she's big enough to want to get away with it. And that's that's the way it is, you know. So, anywho, thank you for listening to The Troopney Show and Billy Graham, thank you very much for bringing us pro wrestling and the way the pro wrestling has developed and the legacy that you have provided. Darrow, where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me in several places. Also, I want to thank Billy Graham for uh, Triple H, the greatest wrestler of all time. <laughs> um, and there's no argument on that. <laughs> One day, me and you will have that argument. <laughs> there is no argument. There's no argument. <laughs> sorry, James. There just isn't. I'm um, going actually... to introduce you to a young lady called Manami Toyota, and you will change your mind forever about everything you've ever thought before. Do you know the story why I hate John Cena? Go on. So my first WWE house show, um, I got to see John Cena defend the belt against Triple H in a street fight. My right. dreams are shattered that night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at your dreams being shattered. No, no, no. It was fair. the delivery. Go on. It, no, it's fair. It's fair. It was a uh, had the sledgehammer and everything, and ever since then I was like, oh, I hate you, John Cena, and that and that's never ended. But I will watch him in movies, to be fair, but. As a wrestler, the hatred is uh, quite consistent. So, anyway, Triple H, greatest, <laughs> greatest wrestler of all time. Anyway, yes, you can find me on the Wrestling Rewind every week. We try to do a weekly show. I mean, we've gotten a lot better than, than we used to be. Um, schedule's a bit crazy, but we, we do actually uh, do a show every week here on the True Penny channel, but also on Nerdtono Media and the Wrestling Rewind.com. Listen, I know he's listening. Please get in contact with us. The wrestling.com um, will take you to a, a, a link tree. 
you can get in contact with us there because this show is is all about you guys. Right now we're doing an arc of uh, fan interaction shows and we kind of went down a bit of rabbit hole where uh, Martin got drunk and said he wanted an ECW show run by ECW. So we ended up watching Hardcore Justice 2010 and now he knows never to say that again. <laughs> because, you know, I can always just pull out a horrible TNA show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fun. It took three and a half hours to talk about that show. So that's this week's show, folks. Um, yeah, you can go over and find us there. Uh, the show was free every single week. And uh, again, if you get in contact with us, we can uh, cover whatever you want us to cover. And James, thank you for having us on uh, on the network. We really appreciate it. Also, at RWV, if you want to tweet random things, th- things at me on Twitter, but like I never really tech check my twitter sometimes it's just a random check-in i usually just talk to, to james on it but i am there and um that's where you can find me yeah. uh you can find me at sheriff Lester on twitter you can find me on instagram sheriff Lester tx you can find the show on twitter at troop new show and on instagram at troop new show you can find us on facebook the troop new show because it's full of scary people and racist um and <laughs> you can find us uh you can find me on mastodon as well at sheriff Lester, and you can find us on discord uh Troopany Show podcast if you would like to join us there. I do post everything everywhere every week and on Patreon where you keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Me and Dara are off to go record about Best of Super Juniors, a tournament Dara has never watched. Never watched. So the, this would be intriguing. But that's going out today on the Saturday as we're recording this. So it's pretty useless telling us. But go back and listen to it because this should be ace. Thank you very much for listening to me today and thank you very much for listening to the Troopany Show and the Wrestling Rewind. Take care and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.